0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the heavy warfare and conflict going on inside the Garden of Eden. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: Father, it is really good to be within your house this morning. We say that individually. We say that as a group. And it's good to be here, Lord, because you are here. And it's good to be with you. And Lord, this morning, we have a prayer, and it's just simply those words, more, more about Jesus. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Do it this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you turn to Genesis in chapter 3, we're going to continue this morning. We're going to be studying this passage here about what happened in the garden. Great, great event. So follow along now as as really looking at this again. Focus in on it and ask yourself the question as we read these things. What can I learn from this? uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And they knew And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? That thou shouldst not eat. Now, that's where we're going to pause there for this morning. Now, the first thing we noticed is, is that, as we've said before, is that there's a very, very, very heavy warfare our conflict going on in paradise. Uh, this is paradise. This is the Garden of Eden here. It's very interesting to us, you know. I subscribe to uh, Sale Ma- Magazine. How many of you have ever seen Sale Magazine? Okay, so I'm the only one. Oh, no, Tim, you have to. All right, I subscribe to that. And every year my wife go and I go through the same routine about the Sale Magazine. The bill comes for the following year, and she says, do you really want to renew the subscription to Sail magazine? Because I never go sailing and she said and i say yeah for another year and so you know we the sale magazine arrives every month and the truth is i really like sale magazine and and every month when it arrives just got to our house a couple days ago i go and grab and squirrel it away you know a little hiding place and and then when i'm all alone then i open it up and i look at all these sailboats On blue seas, you know, and I just kind of dream as I look at this, you know, and escape, you know, and alone. I'm dreaming of sailing off somewhere in some crystal blue water where my only concern is when I'm going to get up to fill my ice cold drink or dive into the water. You know, I like to do that. And I sort of leave this world, and I'm sort of off in in some land there until Cheryl yells at me, and then it snaps back into reality. And I had the thing, and it was in the magazine, and I go until next time. Well, in this month's issue of Sale Magazine, there was an article at the end called When to Go. It's called When to Go. And you know what the article was about? It was about a husband and a wife who were both heavy career people, and they were in the race of juggling their careers and their responsibilities for their children and paying their mortgage and their housework and and all the kids' activities and and et cetera, et cetera. And and, And they're in the middle of all this. And the article starts off, and here's the quote for it. He says, For dreamers of all ages, that's me, the idea of sailboat cruising has an inescapable allure. And the article tells how they sold their house and downsized everything to this boat, and they set sail for the Bahamas, and they just painted this picture of what it was like when they first sailed into the Bahamas, and the joy they talked about as they passed their first palm tree. And spotted their first dolphin. They said, and then they used, and then they said, and, and all of it was summed up by three words. And they said, time just slid by. They said, time slid by. Well, that's interesting. I thought, until Cheryl yelled at me. But no. Then, then <laughs> turn to Ephesians chapter six, and and let's look at a with that in mind. That picture there. Let's, let's ask ourselves the question does that match up with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18? So, what does this say in Ephesians 6, 10, 18? In contrast that with what we just were just describing there in Sale Magazine. Okay, finally, my brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may able to may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Does that kind of sound like the joy of sailing past your first palm tree and seeing your dolphins for the first time and letting time slide by? I don't think so. That's hardly the description of that. It sounds more like a storm at sea. Paul is preparing us for what, the li- what, what life is like for the believer. What's, like, what's life like for us? He starts off by saying, when we boil it all down to its essence, that's the word finally. He says, when we get right down to it, and it all boils down to it. He says, what this life boils down to, to he says my brethren he says if you're going to be part of my the family i'm in and what you've signed up for this is what you can expect and he talks about needing strength and needing power and needing armor and needing breastplates and needing shields and needing helmets and needing swords. And he goes on and on. And you say, why do we need all of this power and this strength and the the armor and the breastplates and the shields and the swords and, and helmets and so forth? Because he says, you're going to be assaulted. You're going to be assaulted by an unseen but very real devil by, by who he calls principalities. He calls powers, by rulers of spiritual wickednesses. And he talks about arrows that are on fire. So in other words, they've been dipped in pitch, and they're on fire, and he calls them fiery darts. And he says, and it's going to be a close conflict body to body wrestling with the sweat of it all and they're gonna come in like a flood to shock you and then they're gonna stay there like a siege to wear you out and that's what he says and if you said to paul, well, paul what do i gotta do what's my goal he says your goal at the end of all of this is just be left standing He said, just stand. Don't worry about the go forward. Just stand through it. He said, look at how many times he says that. He says, you need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says in verse 13, you need to be able to withstand in the evil day. And then again in verse 13, he said, having done it all to stand, just stand. And then he says in verse 14, stand and so after you fought and you, you held your ground against all the wrestlings and the sieges and the attacks and everything, he says, if you're standing, you did, you did good. That's what your goal is. And if you're standing, then you'll be still praying. And you'll be praying because you'll be continuing to believe that God is worth praying to that God is good, and that you'll be still dependent on him, and therefore you're going to be praying. And he says, so that's why he says, stand, and the, the mark that you're standing when all the dust settles and all the smoke is cleared is in is verse 18 where he says, praying always. You kept praying. With all prayer, and there's double emphasis, and supplication in the spirit, and you're expecting, you're watching, and you've got perseverance, and you keep on calling out to God. That was the great thing about Mike Hayner. Is that right up until the end? He was thanking God. He was praising God. He was appreciative for all of you. He told me many times, thank the people for praying for me. What did he do? He stood until the end. And so he says, so Paul says, what do you need to do in order to be able to stand? He says, first thing, he says, you need truth. He says, your loins girt about with truth. Thy word is truth. This Bible is truth, John 17, 17. We need to know the Bible in order to use it in the battle because this is our authority. This is the authority. This is God said this. God said this. And so we're surrounded by that truth. And not only that, this Bible is identified as as our sword, as well. It's the offensive weapon, as you know. And then righteousness. He says you need righteousness positionally. You need a righteousness before God that's not your own. That's the righteousness of Christ. That's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be covered in that righteousness. We had the service this morning about speaking about the covering of the blood of the righteousness of Christ. The blood of Christ speaks of his righteousness. We need that not to rely on our own righteousness, on our own good works in order to merit ourself before God. No, no, no we need righteousness of christ but we also need personal righteousness there's one thing that'll knock us out of the game it's a personal sin it's a moment of a bad decision it's an indiscretion it's a mistake or whatever you want to call it and it can very easily knock you off for life it can it can so he says righteousness and then he says preparation of the gospel of peace you know what that is that's being occupied with god's business God has a business. He wants us to be reconcilers of lost sinners to a forgiving God. That's that's God's business. God's business is to come, to seek, and to save that which is lost. And when we are occupied with that business, then we're going to be also in a position where we're going to be able to stand. And then he says, very, very important, he says faith. He said the shield of faith. In other words, believing what this book says. Believing this book, and then as we mentioned prayer. Now that kind of language is nothing like sailing off and watching time slide by. It's more like redeeming the time because days are evil. So the first thing we see about the normal life of a believer is this described very graphically as a without a doubt warfare. And we need to know that Our enemy is an attacker. That's what the word Satan means. It means accuse from its root or attack. His normal mode is to attack. He's an attacker. He's an attacker. He's an accuser. He's not passive. And you might say, if that's true, then what's the value here that we come to this passage here in Genesis 3? How does this really portray this? How does this really help us? Well, in this scripture of Genesis 3, where we are right now, God has distilled down to us essential facts of what happened so that we can study them and study them and study them and study them. them. Why? Because you know how pro football teams prepare to go on the playing field with their opponents? You know what they do? They spend hours watching the videos of their opposing teams. That's what they do. And they watch those videos of those past games over and over and over again. And as they watch them, their coach asks each of the players to carefully observe and learn about what are the attack strategies of the team that you will be facing? What are their favorite plays on the field? What are their individual strengths and weaknesses? How, how well or how not so well do they function as a member of a whole team. But that's constantly reviewing. And they do all this so that when the time comes for them to meet this opponent on the playing field, they know exactly what to expect. Why? Because they've studied their enemy in action. They've spent time viewing those videos. Well, you know what God has given us in these verses here? It's the video. This is the video of the opposing team right here. And he's saying to us, Study it and understand what is the strategies of the enemy. What are his favorite plays and what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses and watch it over and over and over again. So that, that's, that's the great value of this passage here is, is to be able to study our enemy. The devil's tactics. So we saw the devil's tactics. We see the devil's tactics here. We saw the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 4. And just turn to that for a moment as we're going to look at something, a pattern here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Because there, it says, the Lord was also in his place of temptation, like Eve, like Adam, Matthew 4. And what it says there in verse 2 is that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that's a long time, he was afterward a hungry, guess so. I'm hungry if I fast 40, 40 minutes, you know, but <laughs> anyway, he, he was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And you could breathe, he says, bread, that's a fiery dart. Right there is a fiery dart. That's a flaming arrow that will do a lot of damage if it's not extinguished. Because that comes over, and if you don't put that arrow out, it's going to burn, 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 do a lot of extension Now, What's the flaming dart? Oh, the smell of the nice, hot, delicious Soft bread, I'm starving, okay? and that's all I got. And all I got to do is just command these stones, and they'll be. Oh, I can smell it now. It smells like a French bakery here in the middle of the desert. And and so, what do you do? What did he do? Well, he reached down and he got his shield of faith that we read about in Ephesians six, and it, and with the shield of faith, he quenched that with the word of god see him there he reaches down with his with his shield of faith and it's in, in verse four and he answered and said it is written see there goes the shield of faith and he's got just the right verse man shall not live by bread alone you said bread satan there's another verse with bread man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god see that the mouth of god is what comes out of the mouth of god is more important than bread
0: Tom, today you spoke about the Christians and their troubles. What would you say to some of our listeners who are in the thick of it and just facing a lot of troubles and battles? Right. And that
1: uh, really resonates, that's a good description of how many of us feel that we're right in the middle of a lot of troubles. The Word of God has some great help for us in this, and it's found in 2 Corinthians 7, 4 through 6, where Paul says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you, great is my glorying of you, I am filled with comfort. And that's important, he said. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. What's so important to see here is that when you and I go through troubles, we're not alone. Paul's life was characterized by troubles. He said, we were troubled on every side. And he described the troubles. He said, there were troubles outside, and he called those fightings. There were troubles within us, and he called those fears. But he emphasized twice in these verses that he was filled with comfort. And he spoke about the source of that comfort. He said, nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. So in describing himself, he said, I'm a person who is cast down. And how many of us have not felt cast down? But he said, I'm also a person that is comforted. And you'd ask, well, Paul, Paul, tell us, where does your comfort come from, Paul? Do you have a formula? And he would say, no. Paul, do you have a secret that no one else knows about, and he would say, my secret is very simply one word, God. He said, God that comforteth. He said, I am filled with comfort. So when he was troubled on every side, as he said he was, when there were fightings all around him, when he had fears within He looked to God and God comforted him. Now, we might say, well, how does God comfort? Well, God comforts in many ways. But in this particular way... That he was speaking about. He said that he was comforted by the coming of Titus. So it was another Christian. It was another fellow believer that came to him, and just his coming to Paul greatly comforted him. And he realized that this wasn't just Titus coming to him, this was God sending Titus for what purpose? To comfort him. So will we go through troubles? Yes. Will we be insulated from fightings and fears? No. Will we, be, will we be in the midst of fightings and fears? Yes. Then how can we stand? Because of God. What will God do? He will comfort us. How will he comfort us? Many, many different ways. But most of the time, it's going to be by
0: others, other believers who will come and encourage our hearts. And that's definitely encouraging to think about. Now, what about our listeners who are not in the thick of it? And really, what would you say to them that aren't having a lot of troubles right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the
1: other side. Sometimes we do go through these periods of life where, to be perfectly honest, we don't identify with Paul when he says, I'm troubled on every side. We don't feel that we are are fighting all around us. We really are not in the midst of fears. There's, There's wonderful times, thank God for them, when we're not. And so it's a really good question is to ask, well, what do you do during those times? And what you do is don't go to sleep. What you do is stay on your guard. What you do is expect troubles to come. Why? Because the because Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise that it's right around the corner. In Galatians 5.11, Paul said, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision... Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? So, Paul spoke about the offense of the cross. One thing is for sure if we are being faithful to the Lord, we are speaking to our friends, we are speaking to our family, we are speaking with everyone we come in contact with about the cross. What about the cross? That the cross was the place where our sins were dealt with by God. The cross was the place where God, who had become a man, took upon him all of our sins and died for our sins. That message is offensive. The cross is offensive. Why? Because it's offensive to pride. To say that our leader humbled himself, making himself of zero reputation, and laid down his life on a cruel cross to be tortured to death on that cross is offensive. And that's why it's called the offense of the cross. And so if we speak that way, then our
0: message will be offensive and we will have problems. It's very true and great advice. Today you also spoke about Satan, and I hear people so often say about Satan that the devil made me do it. Is that really the biggest issue with Satan, that the, you know, he makes us do bad things or that the devil made us do it? Yeah, that's
1: uh, that's what we also we hear. You know, we say we always want to blame. Oh, the devil made me do it. I, I I I didn't want to do it, but the devil made me do it. I I I was pushed into it, and and so we we oftentimes will just fall into that trap of thinking about the devil as well. He's the one that makes me do it. I didn't want to do it, and so that's a very good question. You know, to answer that question, we really have to go back to the root word Satan. Satan in Hebrew has as its base the uh, the root of accuser, as one who makes accusations. We see him in action in Job 1, 8 through 8-11, where it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou... Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land, but Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. What we see Satan doing here in action is he's accusing Job. God is bragging about Job, and Job may have said, Oh, God, do you have to talk about me? (laughs) Because he has a lot of trouble coming as a result of that. But it would all brought glory to God and strength to Job and happiness in the end. But the issue here is that Satan said, Do you really think, God, that Job is really on your side? Just take away the protection. Just take away the blessing, and he will curse thee to thy face. See those last words? He will curse thee to thy face. That's an accusation. The accusation is... You put Job on easy street and he'll he'll stand true to you, but you take him off easy street and he will curse you to thy face, to your face, see? Now, that is an accusation and that's the picture of Satan, our accuser. But thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross defeated our accuser, Satan.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues our study in Genesis. Now, would you like to contact Tom Cantor? You can do so by sending an email to Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, you can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook as well as Israel Restoration Ministries. And there you can receive a daily devotional from Tom Cantor and learn more about friendship with God. You can also go to our websites, friendshipwithgod.org, as well as israelrestoration.org. And you can call us at 1-800-247-3051. We'd like to hear from you today, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow at the same time.